0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 776 for Monday, August 26th, 2019.
1: to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where we take all your questions, all your tips, all your cool stuff found, we mix them all together, we form like... I don't know. Maybe it's soup today. Maybe it's, uh, you know, we've got lots of stuff to go through. In fact, we've got lots of stuff. There's a lot of acronyms we're going to talk about, like SMART and, and USB. Maybe it's acronym soup because we've got some cool stuff found. We have some geek challenges. Actually, we have more geek challenges that came in this week than typically come in. So we might have a little bit of a jam session on a few of those to see if we can sort of seed the pot and hopefully get some answers from all of you. Sponsors for this episode include Linode.com slash MGG, MacSales.com, and iFixit.com slash MGG. We will talk about all of those shortly here. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, back in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton.
0: And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. And how are we today, Mr. John F. Braun? I'm doing fantastic, Dave, because I have plugged, my things that leaked are now not leaking anymore. And when you think about it,
1: it's kind of the the goal of life.
0: Yeah. How much I was going to say, how much of your life is spent plugging leaks, whether they be uh, hydraulic or liquid or, or data? Or data leaks. Yeah. yeah. And plugging those leaks should give you a good feeling. So I, so I I, feel very good that I plugged many leaks that I had. This
1: putting, a, putting a Band-Aid on is plugging a leak of sorts too, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, though, you want your data to like, y- you want it to leak out. Like like we're doing with this show, right? Where you, <laughs> right? No, like, like, like this is intentional leak. And sometimes you want to set up like a server That will, you know, send your data to people, leak your data to people, as you might say. And that's where our first sponsor, Linode, comes in because they have these all SSD-based servers that sit in the cloud. And that way, they're there on their 40 gigabit network. I mentioned they're all SSD. You can pick from any one of Linode's 10 worldwide data centers. And they're cool because you pay for what you use with hourly billing across all plans and all their add-on services. If you want to leave a server up and running all month, you start with a server that's just, their are nanoed, which is just five bucks a month. And it's cool. You can get a command line or you can actually have their automated engine set up your server for you with lots of things. Like if you want WordPress, boom. You want to set up a VPN, Boom. You're good, right? Like, do you want to set up a Minecraft server? Boom. You just choose that and it auto-selects it all as part of their new cloud manager. You've got to check it out. And we've got a deal. Go to lino.com slash MGG. That's L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash MGG. Coupon code MGG2019 gets you $20 in credit. Yes, right away. $20. Not $20 after you do something else. $20 right away to start MGG2019. Go do it. Enjoy. Spin up your server now. Thanks to Linode for sponsoring this episode. We have um, we have a lot of things to go through today. John, should we start with our? Uh, should we start with our uh, our cool stuff found? Z, cool stuffs found. I think we say it that way. Right? Uh, we should start at the beginning. Well, isn't that what happens by definition, though? <laughs> Don't we get to decide what the beginning? Well, is? Well, it depends on your temporal reference right um that is fair because yeah. because time is only a linear construct to our feeble human brains like that's just a thing <laughs> that that we created i uh i think no uh, yes you know plex I'm, I'm a big fan of using plex john and they just came out with their plex desktop app for mac right? So now you don't have to use Plex in a browser. If you want to use, like if you want to view videos from your Mac and which is something I do all the time when I'm traveling. In fact, I was down, I was down sort of near you this week. I went, uh, the, I went with the girls and we saw the Jonas brothers down in Connecticut at Mohegan. And, uh, and we got back to the room after the show and we wanted to watch a, a movie or whatever. And I was like, Oh wait, I can hook up Plex to the TV, which I do with my Mac. I, you know, HDMI cable with a USB C dongle and good to go. And this time I was able to do it with the Plex app. So I didn't have to fight with which browser I was going to use and all that. I just launched the app. It's perfect. So, um, that's, I don't know. That's, it's cool. Use Plex yet. Have you set up Plex? Dude, dude, you even, you have that Synology, that DS918 plus, you have a new Apple TV, right? That can run the Plex app. Uh, Did you get you got that you got that new Apple yeah, yeah. TV right? Yeah, yeah, the 4K uh, HD uh, deal. Oh yeah so you got to put you got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're, yes, dude. It, I don't.
0: You know, I got to say, I only really use it as a target for streaming from my computers. I really don't use the built-in apps. Uh, I'm pretty much most of the apps I run are on the TiVo, and and I'm okay
1: with that. Oh, yeah. so so why don't you run Plex on your TiVo? We do that all the time at home.
0: Uh, See? I probably should. I and know. Actually, now that I got new toys, I think I can probably run Plex on my new TV and I can run Plex on my new um, uh, 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 Blu-ray player.
1: Oh, that's probably true. So I will tell you, though, the Plex people have said that they, or maybe it was the TiVo people, but whatever, whoever said it, there is a deeper, much deeper integration happening between those two platforms right now. Currently it's, it's just an, like, it's an app in TiVo, right? Just like Amazon prime or whatever, you just go and and it's there. But unlike Amazon prime, everything that's in Plex is just in Plex, right? And, and you have to launch the Plex app on the TiVo and then you can see it. But they are starting, they are saying that they're working on a deeper integration so that you can have your Plex content sort of exposed to, you know, potentially things in like your my shows list so that it can pull from that just like it can pull from a Netflix or a, you know, a Hulu or whatever there, which is pretty darn cool. So I, I'm a big fan of Plex. So
0: big fan. All right. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'm going to keep it simple. You know, I'm, I'm happy Plex with, is soup.
1: That's the wait, wait, wait. I don't. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Plex is the simplest way to manage your media library by far, by okay. far. Yeah. No, it's like it's built for it. Here's what Plex is built for. If you have a big, you know, like your movies and or or music or photos or TV shows and or right, you can do them all. Plex is built to make it super simple and streamlined and easy to have all your stuff in one place and just play your content when, when and where you want to play it. So you want to download to your iPad for an offline viewing? No problem. You want to stream to your TV? No problem. You want to stream to your laptop while you're in a hotel room? No problem. Right? Like, no, no, no. Plex, Plex is that. It, if you want to keep it simple, you use Plex. That's right. Okay.
0: Yeah. All right. Right now for for that, purpose i use video station from uh, our friends at uh, synology but um from what i hear you saying i should consider plex to give me more flexibility it
1: is it's so video station is like it, it it's a it's i would call it watered down plex it, it's similar right like so you've got the concept right like that's what plex does But Plex does it so much better. Like there's no video station app for your Mac. And even if you wanted to use video station from your Mac, you'd have to worry about like port forwarding and all of that other stuff. No, you just launch Plex. It takes care of it. It knows what to do. Mm. Makes life easy. Yeah, that's good. All right. It is a good thing. uh, Well, it's good that they they now have an app. Well, you now have their app. They've had an app for a very long time. Oh, 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 I said, right. I'm rewinding. They now have an app for the Mac. Yes, that is true. (laughs) I forgot where have we were. Do they have an app for Windows? Yes, they do.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're. Desktop or did them. they? And now, uh, so the, the the Mac app is a relatively new thing.
1: As is the Windows app. Yeah, the, the, both both of them. Oh, are okay, out now. okay. Yep, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty Groovy. good. Yeah, no, they're they're good people. Yep, yeah. and and uh, and a good company. So, all right. Uh, next on the cool stuff found list is uh, lawyer Jeff said. I found a ScanSnap competitor with an Android tablet touchscreen appears to be based in Houston called Raven, raven.com. So uh, if you go to raven.com, you can learn all about their, they've got their scanners, which has the touchscreen right on it, which might make life a lot easier than having to manage it from somewhere else. And, uh, and it obviously would work with the Mac and all that. It's just that the touchscreen on the thing is like an Android, um, it's Android based, but you know, it doesn't really matter. It, it, you don't need Android anything else to use it. So we'll, uh, we'll put that in the show notes too, because that's what we do. Have you ever checked these out? I'd never heard about them before.
0: Um, no, I'm still, uh, I have a, a, a ScanSnap, and although it's uh, somewhat proprietary and that you have to run their app, and they, uh, as far as I know, don't offer a standards-based interface like Twain. Yep. But um, okay, no, it's good to know there's a, another option out there.
1: Yeah, for sure. All right, uh, let's see, Greg. Oh, yeah, you know, we've been talking about opening files on, um, on, on, or opening URLs, rather, on macOS, and Greg sent in this cool stuff found called Opener for iOS. And he says it's really handy to use with the share extension. Whenever I come across a link and I want to force it to open in Safari because otherwise the link insists upon opening an app or I want to force it to open in an app because sometimes it might open in Safari, I use this. And with the share extension, you can kind of force it to do whichever you want. He says one of the reasons why I do it is in order to filter the reviews for a product on Amazon by typing in keywords you need and you need to be on the web page to do that. You can't do it in the app. So I use Opener to force open Safari. Then I tap the share extension and select Opener and select Safari and that forces it to open as a web page instead of the app. So I'll put that in the, uh, I'll put that link in the show notes too. That's pretty cool. Thanks, Greg. Pretty good, huh? Lots of control over your URLs in the last couple of weeks here on MacGeek. Yeah,
0: Yeah, it gets kind of squirrely. To be honest, the whole absolutely what what's happening underneath the covers there. I don't, I don't know. Uh,
1: you want to take this Eric one? I had, I had I had prepped this one for you, but because you love RC default app. But uh, no, but,
0: this is awesome. Okay, And, go and actually, I had um, it, it's on one of my machines here. But um, you know, we'll let Eric lead us in here and. Eric says, you probably got tons of feedback regarding RC default app mentioned in MGG 775, but I thought I'd chime in with Swift default apps. Swift default apps is, as the name implies, written in Swift and is meant to be a replacement to RC default app. And he gives us a link where you can find it on GitHub, and we'll put that in our lovingly handcrafted kind of show notes. (laughs) Well, they're definitely handcrafted. Yeah. We, we
1: do yeah, it all together. But I,
0: I, yeah. But I actually stumbled across this a, a while ago. Um, the thing is, I, I don't think I moved to, uh, again, I have it on one of my machines here and I think I tried it out and I'm like, well, it looks the same and it offers the same functionality. But it sounds like, yeah, it's, it's embracing, you know, Apple's new uh,
1: language there so well, it's and uh, it's in an active it's, development it like right didn't we decide last week that we found that r c default app was last last updated twelve years ago? Uh, correct
0: um, though it still works because the fundamentals of what it's showing you haven't really changed but um but yeah if if uh, if you're a fan of uh, or you need r c default app, then maybe using the the newer the new kid on the block here is may, may make sense.
1: Yeah, my guess is forward. RC Default app will not work with Catalina. Like, I just can't imagine that it was built as really? a 64-bit no. app 12 years ago. No, I don't think that yeah, would have been possible. Say, but they say they're a 64-bit app. RC Default app does? Really? All right. I thought when I went to their page, they said they're... Oh, yeah, you're right. They, it says it's a universal thing. Mm-hmm. Go figure. All right. Cool. But maybe,
0: you know... If it's written in Swift, um, maybe it's more efficient and takes less memory or, or whatever. So uh, The,
1: the yeah. nice part about either one of these is they aren't actu- they aren't running actively on your Mac. I mean, they're there in, as a pref pane, right? But they're not. Once you just are using them to make a change to your settings files, like they're not doing anything you couldn't just do with the terminal. And so if they stop functioning, whatever changes they've made or that you've made with them will stick. Right. You could uninst you could make all your changes and uninstall one of these things and it's all the changes are gonna stick. It's not doing anything actively, which is probably I mean it's so it's a very simple thing, which is probably why it still works. So yeah, cool. Thanks, Eric. Good stuff. Last week we also mentioned that uh I was using this app called Fluid to compartmentalize web apps and one of the ones that I use to compartmentalize with it is Facebook so that I can have a separate app for Facebook and more importantly, I can quit that. Uh, I don't have to worry about Facebook you know, chewing up RAM in you know, some buried browser tab somewhere or something. Well, Ben says, if you weren't using Fluid for Facebook, you might like an, this menu bar thing called Go for Facebook. It runs in the menu bar and I can press a keyboard shortcut to show or hide its window which even appears atop full screen apps. So you can have Facebook running all the time in your max menu bar, if you so choose. And it is available. This go for Facebook app says it's available for free for a limited time. Now we don't know how long the limits are. Um, It might be limited for, you know, a few decades or it might be limited for a few days. We don't know, but, uh, but there you go. So thanks for, thanks for the heads up on that, Ben. Good stuff amplify one of the um one of the more interesting mesh consumer grade mesh solutions that's out there they are amplify is ubiquity's consumer brand for mesh products and they they do a nice job with things well they just uh updated their software this week john and now amplify users get a free inbound VPN so that if you're you know out and about and you want a VPN into your home network either to access resources on your network or to tunnel your traffic so that you know wherever you are doesn't get to see it, Amplify now lets you do that for free which is the same it I think they I'm trying to think uh, I think Orbi might have that inbound open VPN, Synology definitely has the, uh, they've got actually the most robust VPN inbound server that I've ever seen on a router. Uh, but, uh, but it's nice to see people adding this. You can get, um, VPN with Eero as part of their Eero plus, but that's not inbound to your network. It's using, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's using the people that used to be cloak. And I can't remember the, the current name off the top of my head, John, but, uh, but it's nice to see amplify out that it's good stuff. Any thoughts on any of that, John? The VPNs are good. Uh, VPNs are good. I will agree with that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I realized <laughs> last week that I recorded the entire episode while connected to express VPN. So I was connected to ExpressVPN. You and I were connected over discord. And then I was also streaming out to, uh, to the world. But um, you know it worked, so I, I guess that's good. Uh, you know, normally I, if if I'm doing a VoIP connection, like for a podcast, I would not run through the extra layer of a VPN. But the nice part is, I didn't even notice. So I guess that's a good thing. You didn't, nobody noticed. The show seemed to work fine. So from my hotel room in uh, in Orlando. All right, what? Uh, oh, so. We are using yet another different audio setup today. I those of you that were at Macstock or anybody that sort of paid attention to what was going on uh, from afar, knows that we tried to use the new Rodecaster Pro as our mixer for and recording interface for our remote at Macstock. But the one that we had had some bad, uh, had two bad mic inputs on it. Well, I have a new one that doesn't have two bad mic inputs, in, f- in fact, it has all good mic inputs. And that's what we're using to mix and record the show today. So uh, if if you notice anything odd about the sound, let us know. Uh, good, bad, just different, that's fine. If you're indifferent, let us know that too. It's fine. Uh, feedback at MacGeekab.com would be where you could let us know that. Did you say feedback at MacGeekab.com? I did. I said feedback at MacGeekCab.com. And I, I will say that, having this all in one as opposed to this, you know, the Frankenstein that I built over the last, whatever, 14 <laughs> years. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, what the Rodecaster does is it has everything. You just plug your mic into it and it's got all of the noise gates and compressors and uh, it's a mixer. It even has an SD card port where you can have it record, but it can also output to your Mac. It also um, what's cool is like for you, John, I want to have your audio coming into this mixer so that I can have you in one of the faders on the mixer. So if you're not loud enough or whatever, I can just control you. Well, this mixer has its own USB input so that when I connect the mixer to the Mac, it registers a USB input. I point you to that and now you're there. But what's even cooler is it does what the podcasting industry calls a mix minus, so it sends you a mix of everything minus you, so that you're not getting yourself echoed back, and it just kind of happens automatically um, right there in it. So, which is it's it's pretty cool. It's all in one. The, the the weirdest part that I'm noticing, and I've I this is actually the second podcast episode that I recorded with it. I recorded um, the Gig Gab podcast that I do for musicians earlier today using it, but um, it, I'm I hear a hiss in my ears. You don't hear that on the recording. It's not a noisy recording, but even when all the faders are down and nothing is running through it, there's just a, like a, a hiss that I hear in my ears. And so I got to figure out what that, um, what that is. It, it, I sort of, it goes away. I mean, it, it becomes far less noticeable once you start recording and, and all of that. But, um, but it is interesting. So, but it is fun. It has like, uh, you can put, I didn't, play our theme music through the board i just played it from the computer but i could like program the theme music into the boards and it's got pads on it where you can just trigger sounds in fact i think if i get it wrong i hope i don't get it wrong but i think i have the ability to like trigger applause oh that's laughter see they laughed at me because um mm-hmm. yeah there you go so but that's just one of those things you can replace it don't worry we're not going to be adding in those kinds of effects on a regular basis just <laughs> demoing here yeah we don't need a laugh track we don't need a laugh track. Yeah. All right. Well, sometimes you need the sad trombone though. So anyway, that's the, uh, that's the roadcaster pro. Uh, yeah. Good. Anything else, John? Good. 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 Okay. Uh, I want to talk about our next sponsor, which is Otherworld computing at uh, max sales.com. You know, oftentimes we'll get like, Talking points from them about products that they want to, to talk about, or sometimes they'll say, just come up with whatever you want. And today I actually get to read an email from listener Edward. Uh, that he wrote, and he says, I want to brag about one of your sponsors, Otherworld Computing. He says, I realize I'm not telling you anything you didn't already know. I retired from gainful employment a few years back from 100% PC company. As soon as possible, I purchased my first Mac, a refurbished MacBook Air. Later, I handed it down to a family member and bought a new MacBook. It has been really great, but I've always wanted an iMac. It was hard to justify the cost since I do nothing productive anymore. I just tinker. Then I decided to look at OWC, and there I purchased a 21.5-inch, late 2013, 2.7 gigahertz quad-core i5 iMac, Thunderbolt, 16 gigs of DRAM, 500 gig SSD, all of that good stuff used, of course, 90-day OWC limited warranty uh he was able to get it i think for like less than 700 bucks he says this machine looks and works like brand new it was delivered to my door in 3 days Awesome service, the 500 gig SSD and 16 gigs of RAM make my nothing really important work really fast. He says, I can now hurry up and do nothing. If you waste time, you should do it really fast too. He says, I just wanted to share the fact that the non-super users also have great options at OWC. They are truly a sponsor that I support and highly recommend. And you hear us say this all the time here on this show, either on episodes that they sponsor or don't, OWC is a company that we trust. It is the first place John and I look whenever we're buying anything to enhance our Macs. But you can also buy it. You can also use OWC for a used Mac. So thank you, Edward, for your email. And thank you to OWC at maxsales.com for sponsoring this episode. All right, Mr. Braun. Shall we go on to some of these geek challenges that I mentioned earlier today? We're not going to have answers. I mean, we might have answers. Yeah, we might. We may have answers. We might. You never know. All right. So we'll start with Matt here. Um, I I love this idea. I think think I'm I'm sharing this only because I love this idea. He says, uh, I know clipboard managers have come up several times recently, but I have yet to find one that scratches my particular itch, and I'm hoping (laughs) somebody can help. He says, when I was a Windows user, I had a clipboard manager that was very intuitive for him. Control C copied. Control C again copied another entry into the stack. We'll come back to that term. Control V pasted the last thing that was copied into the stack. And he says stack. And he says it turned the clipboard into what he called the last in first out stack. Meaning whatever you copied most recently would be pasted most recently and then removed. So that if you copied three things, let's say you copy item number one, item number two, item number three, then you go over to where you want to paste them. You paste, it pastes number three. You paste again, it pastes number two. You paste again, it pastes number one. And he says, uh, but it goes deeper than that. He says, say you've copied 10 things into the clipboard and you want to paste the third item from the last. He says, with this thing that i was using on windows i would hold down the control key on the on the mac we would use command uh, if we can find something like this and i would hit v three times while holding down control and i could see it scroll through the things in the clipboard and i get to pick the one that i want he says i'm looking for something like this on the mac i don't know what it is i don't know if it exists honestly you know what matt I don't know if it exists either, but I like this idea of a clipboard as a stack. Quite frankly, it would be a massive change to my personal workflow to use something like this because I'm used to using my clipboard as a catch all and then happily digging through and finding the thing that I want. Um, I use it it really as a peace of mind so that I know I can just copy a bunch of things and they will all always be there for me when I need them. But uh, but I can see the use case where using it as a stack like this would be super handy. So if anyone knows, let us know. John, you I, I'm assuming you don't know anything. <clears throat> Not about
0: this particular topic.
1: Well, no. that, sorry. Yeah, I should have been a little more <laughs> should have been a little more specific with my statement. Yeah. yeah. But
0: I do like the uh, introduction of the uh, terminology here. Which uh, we uh, computer science people like is that there's LIFO and FIFO.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, right. He he talked about a LIFO stack because that's last in and first out. And the way stacks work is you use push to put something on the stack and pop right to take it off. So um, to use it and oh. take it off. So right, isn't that right? Am I am I remembering my my CS terminology correctly?
0: Yeah, okay. but um, but the nature of the stack can be yeah, either the first thing you put in is the first thing you take out, or the first thing you put in is the last thing you take that's out. That's right.
1: right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. FIFO for first in first out, LIFO for last in. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cool. Yeah, I like this idea. Uh, It'll Be interesting to see if uh, if we can if we can find one. So let us know. You know, we already told you how to email us. If you're a premium listener, email us at premium at macgeekab.com. That we would we would love to uh, we'd love to hear from you there too. All right, John, shall we move on to Mike's geek challenge? It's a good one. Yeah. He Thanks. says at the college at where I work, I have a couple of new iMacs that we teach from. One of our professors would rather use windows. So I have the hard drive partitioned and windows installed with bootcamp. No problem. The thing I would like to do is have an OS selector without having to hold down the alt or option key says, I guess that's too hard for this particular professor. Do you know of any way to do this? He says, I used to use refit back in the day, but I've been reading a lot about it not working anymore. Maybe I can find a version of grub for Darwin. Grub being the boot, a very popular bootloader uh, used on Linux. So, uh, any other ideas? Oh, man, like I, I feel like there's got to be a way. In, I, I feel like there's an nvram command to set this john to always show the bootloader but um you know and, and oh um, yeah right oh, default
0: right and, and yeah yeah oh gosh yeah that
1: yeah <coughs> yeah like like there's boot args right where you can you can set all those things is there a list i don't yeah i don't know the answer to this but I feel like this should be like, cause you can set a a boot argument to always be in verbose mode or always boot in safe mode or single user mode. But I'm wondering, there's, I feel like there's gotta be one that's going to always show that, that, you know, w- what he's calling the, the boot selector or the OS selector, which is what you get when you start up and hold down option immediately. Boot
0: args. All right.
1: Right. So it, yeah, you would use the nvram command and then boot dash Args and set, something but I'm, i've looked at a couple of lists of you know it, what i would call incomplete list of boot arguments and i haven't found one yet that shows uh, that you know lets you force that that uh that bootloader so i don't know yeah. man yeah i found a list too i mean
0: you can go to the terminal and do man and vram and it'll give you some information okay but I believe there's a command where you can list all of the variables. I I, I found an article here and uh, hey, okay, we'll link to it. Why yeah, not? that sure. shows many of them, and actually one of them is named boot-args.
1: Well, that's what we're talking about. Is yeah, is setting but it's yeah? Not
0: really showing all of the. Yeah, it's kind of mysterious here. Yeah.
1: So and complete list of boot args. I will I will put that in the uh, show notes, but I don't think there's anything in the, that's the that's the one I found is on one on superuser.com. But I feel like man, like mm-hmm. there's got to be something close. I, I I I or I wonder if there's another way to hack around it. Like could you let's think about this, right? Could you set up an OS that boots by default that I don't know
0: I don't know I mean it's not terrible to having having to hold down the key but um but I get the idea here
1: well I think the problem is you know if you turn on the computer and forget to hold down the key then it you know boots one way or the yeah. other and yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah so Alex in the chat room at MacGeekHub.com com slash stream says there was something called Boot params, but it's no longer supported. So I don't know. Let's see. Yeah, there's there is a boot per yeah. I don't know. Hopefully somebody will know because I like this stuff. It's um, you know it's why we do this show. Keeps us keeps us honest. Keeps us <laughs> thinking. Um. All right. One from Mark here as we plow through these. Mark asks. He says, I recently got a 3D printer. It's very cool for making some useful items, but it makes a lot of noise for hours or even days while it's doing its printing. My wife made me put it in a far, far away place in our house, away from my iMac. To get files to it, I've been using a micro SD card and sneaker netting it. The printer does have a USB port on it, but having a USB cable across that distance is not feasible. Is there any such thing as wireless USB And how does it work? I have seen things like this in the past. I mean, so there's a couple ways to go about this. If there is some generic, you know, plug this wireless dongle into each device and neither one of them knows that it's wireless, but it's actually sending your USB data across a wireless link instead of wired. Like that would be cool. And I, I feel like I've seen those kinds of things. But when I started searching for them today, I couldn't find one at all, right? So, uh, the the next thing is, is this something that could benefit from one of those, you know, network... Let's take your printer and make it into a network printer devices. You know, Lantronics used to make one. There's one built into a lot of routers, right? Because you can plug your printer into your router and then it just magically gets shared on your network even though it's not a network printer to start because the router's doing it or, like I said, the landtronics device. Like, in his specific case, it doesn't just need to be wireless USB. It just needs to be, can I make my printer work on the network somehow? Uh, So, like, to me, those are the two paths. I feel like path number two might work, but I don't know if his 3D printer, like, the way like is it a normal it might not be like a normal printer where you're just putting things in the queue and it like it might have some there might be a whole lot more to it it might not act like a printer i guess is what i'm saying it might be i am controlling a usb device not i'm printing to that device over there so i don't know what do you think mr braun
0: what i think is that a few years ago I did have a uh, hard drive. I can't remember the vendor right now, but they were using something called UWB, otherwise known as ultra wideband technology. Okay. To accomplish a wireless USB connection. Really? Yeah. And I still have the dongle. I don't have the drive anymore because uh, the, the thing is, it didn't really work. It was very sensitive to the orientation of the dongle and where the drive was, is that it either worked great or it didn't. And I actually found a, and, and you probably found it already, but if you didn't, I'll link to this article, but it's a thing on LifeWire, uh, actually dated May 19th, 2019, saying, hey, you know, ultra wideband, one of the things that it can accomplish is wireless USB. yeah. I don't know how many. I don't know if anybody's actively making.
1: Yeah, I'm not seeing anything. Uses this. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, you probably found the article. Yeah.
1: I'm, yeah, for sure. Huh.
0: Okay, so you found the the article, or if not, I'll, I'll I'll link to it here. But um, but that was one proposed solution was using the certain frequency spectrum to accomplish wireless USB.
1: Huh. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean I can I, like my guess is that they're that this is totally doable and not entirely necessary it, like the use cases for it are not widespread enough that it would be worth someone manufacturing a, a you know a generic wireless USB device May, maybe it would though i mean i don't know it depends on how reliable it is, how how universal it actually is, right? Like if you if you build this thing, is it just the same as buying a USB cable? Is it just as good for, you know, for all the use cases or most of the use cases that would need to happen?
0: Yeah. I mean this article says that uh, you know, because the, the, the rollout of this wasn't entirely successful. Okay. Um, they're saying Wi Fi is probably a better choice. So you can right. get a USB Wi-Fi dongle, I think that, that may be... Uh...
1: So here's my problem with, with this. Every mm. search that you do, or that I've done for a USB Wi-Fi dongle, finds the reverse. It's like, oh, you have a laptop and you need Wi-Fi for it, so plug this thing in and you'll get Wi-Fi because it's a USB Wi-Fi dongle. Right. I actually want a wireless USB dongle, but good luck telling Google that you don't want the thing that it thinks you want when you put in wireless USB. Like I I'm pretty good searching Google. I could not get Google to filter out all of the you know USB Wi-Fi dongles, which is not what what we want, right? You know, we want the other way around. We want USB wireless, not USB to Wi-Fi. So, yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. I think for now, I think you know you're going to have to run a cable like a caveman
1: to yeah. accomplish yeah. I
0: and I know that's not the answer we want
1: well but. yeah or you know get is it possible to have like a raspberry pi manage this process and put the plug the you know the pi usb into the um into the the 3d printer and then use that as like the the server device and then you know send your instead of sneaker netting your files over with your you know with your SD card or whatever, just send it to the Raspberry Pi and have the Raspberry Pi do the you know do the thing. Like maybe that's the answer. I don't know. Uh, yeah.
0: Maybe somebody should do a Kickstarter or something like that on this.
1: Yeah, again, I Fair. like yeah, maybe, mm-hmm. right. That would answer the question. Is there enough need? That's you're right. That's the beauty of Kickstarter. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, one last one. Uh, here. Uh, Allison writes, in Istat menus, if we watch the CPU section, on top of seeing the load on the CPU and CPU temperature, we can also watch the CPU clock speed. And you need the Intel power gadget installed in order for istat menus to show you that. But it's a very cool thing to to do. Uh she continues, my understanding of how the processors worked in our Macs was that they have the ability to clock up under higher system load. For example, according to Mac Tracker, my 2016 MacBook Pro has a processor speed of 2.7 gigahertz, but a max processor speed of 3.6. I'm asking the question because under high system load, streaming video to the Internet while she records her podcast, my MacBook Pro is actually clocking down to less than 2 gigahertz. It seems I don't understand how this works or something is wrong with my Mac. And she offers even more details in uh, showing some screenshots and all this in our forums at MacEcup.com slash forums. And I've got a link to the specific forum post in the show notes for you all. But so the question is, like, why is it clocking down or up? And I think you did some research on this, Mr. Braun. Well, I mean,
0: Intel does have an article uh talking about turbo boost and when it when it should be enabled and when it shouldn't be now one there's a and I'm going to assume that she checked this out here but the thing is it's only supported on a certain class of processors
1: Right. Well, let's assume that what she said, let's take what her statement at face value, right? That that her her Mac has is, you know, 2.6 turbo boostable or 2.7 turbo turbo boostable up to 3.6. So, so check that box. Now why isn't it doing it?
0: Yeah. Well, it could be based on this article talking about turbo boost, it could be that it's not enabled on this machine. I mean, I can't imagine that Apple would screw that up but maybe they did i don't know or there's
1: some Uh, weird yeah i don't think let's assume no right i mean it could be you're right but but i I mean apple is is advert like when when sold this machine was advertised as it supports turbo boost up to 3.6 so again let's check that Mm -hmm. box like like why what what how does turbo boost get enabled what is the like that so what? It's magic.
0: The the, the it, it it and from what from what Intel says it's totally up to the processor to decide when to do this within the system design parameters.
1: Okay, so the the CPU decides on its own like the there's no way that the OS like in software can tell it yes go, don't go or can it send well, it. I mean
0: here's what they say. So they say okay. the processor must be working in the power temperature and specification limits of the thermal design power of the system. Now it could be that for whatever reason if the power temperature and other things are not within the specs of turbo boost, it's not going to enable it.
1: That makes sense. Like on a, on a laptop, if the battery gets below on a Mac laptop on a bat, if the, when the battery gets below f- or f- at 5% and lower, the CPU is automatically slowed down to 800 megahertz. Um, right. right. So, right? so, uh, you know, it stands to reason that, that, that would be one part of it. But it, I mean, I think she's plugged in while she's doing this, but it could be, there's something wrong with her Mac um right like they
0: say here one of the criteria is that i mean the system could be running hot and if it's running hot it's not going to enable turbo boost because it's like well you know i i don't want to overclock and shut your system down yeah so i mean you know maybe get a utility to run your fans a little faster and maybe run your processor a little cooler and maybe it'll kick in i'm that's a good idea
1: yeah Because that's one of the criteria
0: that they use to enable this. So, right? Maybe that's happening. I mean, you know, it's it's protecting itself. You know, it's not gonna it's not gonna overclock or uh, you know turbo boost if if again it's going to result in because pretty much any processor these days if if it runs too hot it shuts down because it doesn't want to destroy your computer right your your (laughs) life. (laughs) This
1: is a good thing.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now they also have a tool. Now, unfortunately, it's not on the mac but they do have i think it's called the intel turbo boost monitor though it only runs under windows so i'd be curious i wonder if you run that in a vm if you could see oh. some details here right yeah right again it makes me sad that they don't have the tool for but it seems to be only a windows tool so um
1: interesting yeah right. yeah yeah. right, right, for sure. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: huh. But I'm still thinking here i'm I'm wondering if uh, you know uh, again, one of the one of the bullet points in their article they said it's only going to run if you're working within the power temperature and specification limit of the system. <sighs> and I mean, the guys at Apple are smart, the guys and gals, you know, everybody yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. No matter your you, you're using the, the, yeah,
1: word. the new England gender non-specific <laughs> and yet, yet lately insensitive use of the word guys, which is just people. Right. I, I get it. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And that's
0: my, my interpretation. I mean, I've even seen females, you know, come up to a group and say, Hey guys. And sure. Like, okay. That's cool. You know, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that,
1: no, that's no, not you're, For everybody. Yeah. You're right.
0: That's interesting. Huh. So I wonder if, uh, and I may try this. The thing is, I looked at both of my systems here, uh, both my 2012 MacBook Pro and my um, 2014 Mac Mini, and looking at the the, the iStat menus, they both regularly run both above and below the stated frequency of. Um, yeah.
1: Oh, for of, sure. Of, of
0: of of the processor that you see in the Get Info.
1: Yeah, so, I wonder um, how long a system could run, you know, above its stated, um, you know, in turbo boost mode, like there's got to be a limited time that it, you know, will stay up there and before it backs off. And I'm guessing that's related to heat and power um, Mm -hmm. at some level. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So check it out. Uh, Visit our forums at macgeekup.com slash forums. And we'll, like I said, we'll put a link to the specific Post right there so you can jump right to Allison's post if you've got some thoughts or, or want to see about this you know I I had suggested maybe she reboot or uh, re- reset SMC because when it's hardware but it's not hardware sometimes it's SMC she said she had already tried that because she's been listening to Mac Geekup for a long time and she also like really knows her stuff so uh, no great surprise that she had already tried that but that's you know when you're in a scenario like this that is a very smart thing to to do so Speaking of smart, John. Uh, uh, oh, okay. oh, go ahead. I, I would no, say
0: honestly, I find the whole concept of this technology annoying. Is like, dude, just run at the clock speed that you advertise. Why do you have like this clock speed and then like like a you know bonus clock speed? Why, why not just run?
1: Do you really want the answer to that? Are, I mean, you know the answer, right? It, it's to save power. Right. Right. I mean, like that's the that's why. I mean, that's why you'll see your Mac throttle way down when it when it doesn't need the the speed so that it's not using all that power yeah yeah because it doesn't need to run yeah but it's like dude like a car it's like you know you got this many horsepower that's
0: it that that's your maximum
1: right well but that's what's happening here
0: right it like, doesn't
1: like you don't like overclock your engine to get like more horsepower right Well, <laughs> oh, some people do some people use nitrous right oh right okay <laughs> good, right. It's like, good point. So, good point yeah <laughs> Yeah, when there's a will, it's like
0: nitrous for your processor. Okay, but it's like Uh, built-in
1: factory nitrous. Like you know, (laughs) it's it's OEM nitrous. (laughs) I like it. That's good. All right. Uh, Speaking of smart, we do have some information from last week on smart, and uh, but first, I want to talk about our next sponsor, which is iFixit. Man, you know. I I need to take apart the iMac over in the house because that hard drive in it died and I just need to take it out. And like opening up an iMac with that glass screen and all the little parts that are inside because it's so thin, right? It's flat, it's packed in. I would never feel comfortable doing that if I didn't have the guides that I fix it provides because they are on a mission to make it easier for you to fix your electronics, especially your Mac, right? Cause they're Mac people like we are, and they've got over 50,000 free repair guides. And if you need them, a huge selection of parts and tools so that they can be your one-stop shop for do it yourself repairs. And at I fix it, you'll find everything you need to fix or upgrade your Mac yourself. And you might not know this, but if you listen here, you might already know this. But you can replace the battery in your MacBook Pro, even the Retina models, and the MacBook Air. And iFixit makes it easy with their all-in-one fix kits. In the kit, you get the part backed by their warranty and high-quality tools that are backed for life. To top it off, you get the aforementioned really helpful repair guides for free with step-by-step instructions and amazing photos that really make it easy for you even the first time that you're in like when i take apart a computer for the first time i feel like i know what i'm going to see because you know why i've seen it i've seen the pictures right there on ifixit and i know what i can do you've got to check it out to see how easy it is to do this stuff for yourself and you can visit ifixit.com/mgg to fix your mac today and get $10 off your next $50 fix. That's right. Ifixit.com slash MGG to fix your Mac today, and you get $10 off your next $50 fix. So go check this out. Again, ifixit.com slash MGG. And our sincere thanks to Ifixit for doing all that they do and posting all those great repair guides, and of course, for sponsoring this episode. It's smart time, Mr. Braun and uh chris no so in the last episode we were not so smart time well <laughs> believe it or not though we're gonna get smarter time correct yeah so in the last episode we were talking about how disk utility on nvme max at least my 2019 imac does not show the smart status it says that smart is not supported on the internal nvme drive well chris writes he said um You discussed reading smart data, and it's true that Apple's Disk Utility doesn't support querying smart data from the drive, but that's probably because it's using outdated smart code. However, if you download a recent recent version of the smartmon tools package, uh, that's the code upon which all of these actual utilities run. Then you'll find that that does support NVMe SSDs. Uh, You have to use the command line. And you can get smart. We'll put a link to where you can download a, a bare package of smart mon tools, but you can also install it with homebrew. by just typing brew space, install space smart mon tools as, as one word is that third thing. And, uh, and it'll install it. And then you can just run smart. Uh, I think you run smart control and, and, uh, and it'll, or smart control dash a and your disc name, and it'll show you. And I ran it on my iMac and it worked great. I also tried something else on my iMac, John, you suggested running drive DX in the last episode. And mm-hmm. I tried that too. Works totally fine. I can see all the smart data on my drive. In fact, because I've installed the drive DX tools, I can see the smart data on my external drive with drive DX as well. So that was a good suggestion, my friend. So thank you for, uh, well, thank you for that. And thanks to Chris for uh smart tools. That's I, I love these things. It's fun.
0: Right. And I'm going to, toss this into the ring here but dave I, i've been running this tool for quite a while and it's called smart reporter okay and based on what i know it uses the smart mon tools uh, or, or it has it embedded within it
1: and does it have an uh do you know if it has a version new enough to um to, to see it on the and I mean I can test it but I, I don't want to test it right now because you know I'm doing this other thing no. so okay all right cool well, I'll test that Yeah, we'll, we'll see where we get that's good
0: but um but no I, I like smartmon tool or, or smart reporter what it does is that it will also do daily checks so I get an email every day from smart reporter saying hey I ran these you know I ran the checks and yep. uh, everything looks good which uh, makes me happy
1: that's yeah that's <laughs> that's a good thing for sure yeah cool all right thank you chris good stuff all right where are we here how where are we on time oh we're doing great on time this is man we are like pros i think this new mixer makes (laughs) this podcast more efficiently Uh, all right you think Uh, no i don't think so at all (laughs) um patricia writes she says uh in episode 774 dave you talked about how much you liked quicken 2019 I, too, have been a decades-long Quicken user, but have been dragging my feet about upgrading. I'm currently still using the 2007 version on Mojave on my 2013 iMac. I tried upgrading to 2014 or 2015 a few years ago, and for the first time ever, it was a disaster. I failed to copy over many of my files, so I reverted to my previous version. My question... Could you explain any upgrade problems I might experience and how to avoid them? I understand this newest version is subscription only. So how do you feel about having all your personal finances stored in the cloud? And where exactly is Quicken's cloud storage located? I just hate to attempt an upgrade of all my accounts and get caught. So first of all, you're totally right. Quicken, there was a dark period of uh, <laughs> for Quicken users and for Quicken themselves, I think, where... Uh, the the software just it sucked it was not good that changed in 2017 uh, they they realized this they understood it they sort of retooled and reentrenched and reengaged because they knew there were many of us and i was one of them who was who were continuing to cobble along with Quicken 2007 and they knew that this was not a uh, you know a supportable scenario and also not the one that they wanted so yeah with 2017 uh, quicken got a lot better and 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 the upgrade process got better the, the, the software, I mean, it's, a, it's just different software than it was in the middle there. And, and it truly is like they had caught, they had cut features out of Quicken in that 2014, 15 era. I think, I don't remember exactly the, 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 the years, but it, it was bad. Like it was just, it was not the same thing. And then they had that whole Quicken essentials detour, which was terrible. Uh, those days are past. So feel free with Quicken 2019, I think you'll be fine. Obviously keep a copy of your data, you know, back things up. I, I assume that, you know, because it's a computer, anything could happen, right, with an upgrade. But I it, like, I'm I'm a happy camper and, and I was not trying to use those, you know, interim versions there. In terms of the cloud, you don't have to store all your data in the cloud. Your data is stored locally. You can choose to push your data to the cloud and have it do some management there, but you don't have to do that. Um, so, if you're not comfortable with that, you can still, you know, just run Quicken and not have it sync all your data up to the cloud. That that's totally fine. I don't know which cloud they use, but um, but I do know that the data is you know encrypted at rest up there. It is decryptable by them because you can see it on the web, so it has to be. But um, but if you're not comfortable with that, uh, then yeah, you can you can choose. I think you can actually. I think it's pretty granular if I rem- if memory serves. So, yeah, I would I would definitely check it out. And my guess is that um, Quick in two thousand seven is not going to run under Catalina like RC default app might. I'm pretty sure Quicken in two thousand seven eight. So yeah, <laughs> indeed. Any uh, any thoughts on that, Mister Ron?
0: No, never. Uh... Never did Quicken.
1: Oh, interesting. What do you use to manage your finances, if if you don't mind me asking publicly? Mint, with, with, which is oh, kind of Quicken Qu- acquired them. Well, well it's years in, ago. in Intuit. Yeah, so yeah. it's online. Uh, I don't know that. I didn't. It, is Mint an Intuit product or is it a Quicken product? Because Quicken is no longer Quicken divested from Intuit years and years ago. They were. They were. Uh, I think that that was a private equity firm that kind of took them away from from Intuit. So. I don't, I, don't um, I thought Mint was part of Quicken, not part of Intuit, but I could be. Oh, no, it's, it's oh, part no, it's, of Intuit because it's into it. I'm on okay. the Mint
0: page and it says
1: Intuit Mint. Yeah, you're so, totally right. You're totally right. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So
0: Mint is, as far as I can tell, totally online and you punch in, you know, so you set up an account, you uh, give it your, you set up an account with them and then you tell it about your other accounts, like right. your bank accounts. And I think it basically logs in, uh, uh, it logs in as you once you give it your password and stuff like that, and then it sucks the transactions down. And uh, gee, wouldn't that be great if it worked with uh, a certain card that we're going to talk about soon, Dave, but it works with all my other cards and all well, my that, other Well, that's not the fault of Mint. That's
1: accounts. the fault of Apple Card not working with any oh, I know. online engine. Yeah.
0: Oh, it- I know. And, uh, and depending on which little bird you listen to, uh, somebody is working on that because oh. that's something a lot of people really want.
1: Oh yeah, I don't think do. I don't think that's a secret. I I think that's just a uh, like I, I think it was we're going to launch this way and you manage it with your phone. But I I, th- I mean it's Goldman Sachs like other Goldman Sachs cards are accessible by Mint and Quicken and everything else. Mm-hmm. So yeah, my guess is yeah. that 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 so door will be it. open. Yeah, I think so. I think so.
0: But I love Mint because, yeah, I mean, you know, they have a web interface, an iOS app. It'll yeah. give you a proactive alerts. You know, the other day it was like, yeah, your credit score just got dinged because you just got an Apple Card. And I'm like, oh man, <laughs> right? Yeah, they did a hard pull. And the thing is, they detect that. You know, sure. they, they they and you know they look at my score and said, hey, your score de- went down. I think by like fourteen or oh. ten or something like that. And it's like, you know, I mean, it's not the end of the world. I'm you know like you, I'm still a credit rock star. But yeah. <laughs>
1: It was yeah. upsetting. Yeah. It'll come back. <laughs> yeah, it'll come back. Yeah, yeah, no, it'll be fine. It doesn't it doesn't take long. I, I I've had you know, we bought a couple of cars over the years or whatever. And I mean anytime you you do one of those it it like drops, but only for a few months and then it just comes right.
0: Because back you up. did
1: a car loan. Correct. Right?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well they when they did a yeah, and they did a query. When they're gonna so. do
1: a zero percent loan, man, if they if they wanna finance Ooh. my purchase, I'm happy to do it. Well, you need to be careful though with, with car loans because you, you need to make sure that they're not just baking I mean, there's all, somebody's always going to be making money, right? Like, and that's fine. That That's okay. But you just need to make sure that you're not, you know, taking that 0% loan and then paying an extra, you know, two grand on the back end somewhere else. So just, you know, just look out for yourself there. Yeah. Wow. 0% though. That's a, that's a good rate. Yeah. I wish we could all get that. Right. <laughs> Well, again, it's usually an incentive for a new car. So, I mean, there's a lot of profit opportunities for new cars. So that, you know, that can just be one of those things where they can add that in as to the deal as sort of a friction free point. And, you know, but there's money made else, elsewhere, which is fine. I mean, people should make money. It's it's fine. It's, I remember that good.
0: when when I got my aging still current vehicle, um, that was one thing I was able to negotiate. So Saturn, in addition to a lot of uh, uh, some car sales places, um, do not negotiate on price.
1: A lot Saturn of Saturn doesn't exist anymore, so they did not negotiate on price. Right,
0: they didn't. they right. were like, this is the price for this car. Right, um, but they did negotiate on the financing. That's because good. when when I sat down with them, and they're like. Oh well, you know, let's go through GMAC because it's General Motors and they're like, uh, yeah, here's the interest rate we'll uh, we'll give you to finance this car and I'm like, yeah, you know, I just checked with my bank and uh they'll do a car loan for less and they're like, yeah, hold on. Right. And then, you know, they came back a minute later and they're like, okay, we'll match that rate.
1: No, like, that that's that you yes, <laughs> every everything is negotiable at 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 those points, including like the extended warranty if you want that and all that stuff. I mean, I I know we're getting off the the rails here a little bit. But um, no, but it truly is like you you know it never hurts to ask and and the the nicer you ask the the greater the chance that the person there is going to want to help you.
0: I always try. I, mean, and- I just gave him the fact. It's like, look, I can finance through my bank for less than your offering. So right. if you'd like the money, I'll, I'll give it to you. But you know, you got to you got to bend a little bit. Or
1: and yeah, I is. just I make them my friend. I you know, I have this this philosophy, and I I do this with when i am the when i am giving customer service to someone and also when i am receiving customer service and it's i want to be on the same side of the desk as you not maybe not like physically that might be a little uncomfortable in some of those small little finance offices and car dealerships but 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 figuratively it's let's work on this together let's not we're not we're not adversaries here we are associates here right and and one of us is helping the other or in a in a perfect world we're both helping each other and and when you do that, especially in that scenario, they're so used to people being adversarial that when you come in and you're like the nice guy and all that, you got to be careful because they're really good at, at what they're doing. And, and if you get too comfortable with them, you wind up spending more. But um, but if, if you can just be like friendly and, and nice and be their partner in this, I've found that you can get people to, especially in the finance people generally have a lot of leeway um, in car dealerships. Oh, so, yeah. So, and
0: and yeah. I was their friend, uh, as it. long as they gave me a competitive rate, which they did. So,
1: well, you know, you'll get them to tell, <laughs> but that's, they the th- weren't going to be my friend. <laughs> right, right. No. And that's the thing is just get them to, you know, just buddy right up with them. Um, and you can, you can get a lot. I, and I, and do it with the manager too. It's, it's always, you know, nice guy. It's always a good thing. So anyway, um, speaking of the Apple card, Edward has a good piece of advice, might even call this a quick tip. He says, uh, I want to make sure we remind any users that are in the Apple upgrade program and have the Apple card to change your payment method. Because your Apple card will get you a 3% daily cash reward for your monthly payments in the Apple upgrade program for your iPhone. Says I just made my first payment to Citizens One using the Apple card, and received the 3% reward. So this isn't just for the Apple upgrade program. If you finance through Apple in any way, it seems like this would work because I financed through Apple uh, the phone, again, 0% interest, why not? Uh, I'm not part of the upgrade program but um, because, I, because I know I'll keep the phone, but through Citizens One, change it to Apple and you'll get 3% cash back on that. So that's not a bad little deal.
0: Yeah, so I've actually run across uh, uh, somewhat of a tangent to this, but I'm going to offer it because I sure. I, I think it's useful. Um, I was having a back and forth with, uh, uh, and you'll see the email trail in in our box, Dave. It didn't make it in, into today's sure. discussion, but um, so one was a question about closing dates and stuff like that, and we'll leave that for another time because I haven't yet had that happen. But the thing is, the three you, you got to read. Always read the details. Always read all the documentation you get here. Because the other day I was going to buy an Apple gift card. And so I have a local uh, uh, warehouse store, BJ's, and they offer, um, as do many, like Costco, I think also does, they offer discounts. Like in my case, they offer a 5% discount on an Apple, uh, Apple gift card. Sure. So... So I get a $100, for example, I get a $100 Apple gift card for ninety four whatever. Sure. And I was like, oh, well, you know, let me put it on the Apple card because I'll get 3% back. No. Be careful because if you read their terms, and yes, you know this, but I just want to mention this to people. The thing is, the 3% currently only applies to if you buy something in an Apple store, Apple.com, the App Store, or iTunes. Right. It does not apply if you buy an Apple product like an Apple gift card from someone else.
1: But if you can now, use have, Apple pay to pay for that at Best Buy, you get your 2%. Otherwise you just get 1%. if you Right. Use the and the card.
0: thing is I actually use, so I have another card where I get 2% back Got on it. warehouse stores. So I use that instead, but yes, you're right. Um, but the thing is they recently announced. So now they rolled the card out and I think you have yours now. I don't know if you have the physical card yet, Dave, yet. but, um, so they also and i think they're going to expand this uh, as to many other cards so i saw this and i thought that was kind of interesting so if you do uber or uber eats you will also get three percent
1: that's right yep yeah no you're right pay attention to the details it's good um i did want to offer before we move on from the apple card in in last week's episode we mentioned that the apple card offers a way of auto paying your minimum balance that's not true they have ways of auto paying your entire balance or auto paying a fixed amount, but currently there is no way to tell the Apple Card to auto pay your minimum balance, which is kind of a drag. Um, because I what I I do that with all my other credit cards, and I highly recommend it. It avoids, it helps you to avoid late fees. If you know I I have one day a month where I process all of my my bills and pay everything, and if I'm traveling or something, I might miss a, a payment. Like if that gets shifted by a few days, if I'm away. I might miss the, you know, the payment date for my cards. So I just go online and to every one of my cards and say auto pay the minimum balance, you know, five days before the due date every month, no matter what. And then I can pay the bill and it's fine. But I know that I have that safety net there that I'm never going to have a late payment. As you know, I'm obsessed with my credit rating. So, uh, you know, this is just one way to protect that. And Apple doesn't let me do that in a, You know, in that way, I hope they change it. So I just wanted to share that with everybody. We do, though, have a lot of we have several questions about Synology, disc stations, and we have enough time to finally fit these in to an episode. So I want to do it, Mr. Braun, if that's okay by you.
0: Um, it is. I'm going to bring up a link here, though, because I, I don't think you're going, Dave, but um, actually, Synology has regular events throughout the country here, and they're going to be having one in a couple of months um, in New York City. Cool. So, so, um
1: yeah, I might make it for that. I don't know, but but yeah, we'll put a we'll put a link to that in the show notes. For but sure. it's awesome.
0: I mean, you get to interface with everybody, up into including the big cheese. They talk about all their plans for the future. They give away things, and I've actually won a couple of things. So, um, uh, if you can make it into uh, Manhattan, um, is it September? I think it is.
1: It is. Um, I think it's. Anyways, I'll, I'll yeah. get the link to it and okay. I'll, I'll paste it in the notes here. But um,
0: cool. But yeah, more Synology. We
1: love them. Well, yeah, indeed. So um, I'll start with Mike. Mike asks sort of a, a generic question that'll sort of dive us into this. He says, I've got a, a station 1513 Plus with five WD Red drives, two are four gigs and three are three gigs. He says, I'm going to replace two of the three gig drives with a couple of the new six gig drives so as to increase my storage. Do you recommend that I stick with the WD Red Drives or go with the new Seagate Ironwolves? I've heard you mention both. And honestly, I you know for those of us that are using these at home or in our small offices, I, I honestly don't think there's that much of a difference um, in terms of these drives. In order to say that one would be better than the other, the Iron Wolf drives yes have the deep and in, deeper integration. Uh, sort of goes beyond Smart, which we were talking about earlier, where the Iron Wolf drives can report far more meaningful information about their status than Smart would allow. And the disk station can read that. So there is that integration there. And if all else would be equal, I would say, sure, go with that. Because why not? Right. You get like, it's it, at the very least, it's fun. You can sort of look and, and do those Iron Wolf reports. Um, but right now, looking at six terabyte drives, I am seeing that uh, the six terabyte Iron Wolf is one seventy at Amazon and the six terabyte WD Red Pro is one ninety five. So uh I I would go with the uh with the one that's one seventy and it so it happens that that's the Iron Wolf so you get the extra features as a bonus. So uh, yeah, I yeah I either one I would not use a non NAS drive in I would not recommend that you purchase a non NAS drive for your NAS. John, I know you use them. That's fine. I
0: still have a couple of green drives yeah. in my uh in in both of my nas and uh they haven't failed yet but it's not what they were meant for no and they're not really designed for nas so they're not uh, as yeah. they die i i get either a, and yeah right now i have several iron wolf and like you i love the integration uh you know the synology integration where they they can do the extra um error and and other processing yeah it's so, fun
1: that's fun, but but yeah, those green drives are just Alex in the chat room is asking why um, they're they're not built for full time usage, right? In a NAS, it's uh, it's not uncommon for a drive to just be spinning and running and used, you know, twenty four seven. And those green drives are not meant for that. Also, when those green drives, note every hard drive um, keeps an eye on itself and will take a look. Uh, and find If it finds a bad sector, there are usually extra sectors that are unused on the drive that are built there or that are kept there for when the drive finds a bad sector, it can remap that to one of these spare sectors. That remapping process on the green drives takes a very long time. So long, in fact, that it can start to cause problems with your NAS. Um, sp- Drobo devices are notoriously... Uh, intolerant intolerant of that and they will they will blacklist a drive like you it will say oh nope this drive it went offline for too long i'm not letting it back on you know there's something wrong with it um even though the drive has remapped right and it's just that those green drives are not meant to be mission critical they're not meant to be run full time and so uh you know it's just how it works so i would i would definitely put the um the no you're right i remember the last
0: time i had a green drive fail in one of my synology so one synology you can set it up to alert you when there's a bad sector or or you can set a threshold i set it to one
1: okay (laughs) Uh, fair
0: (laughs) i think makes sense and the thing is i had one of the green drives fail at first it was like oh there's one bad sector and i'm like "Eh, all right that, that, that that's cool A couple of days later, it was like, yeah, now there's 500 bad sectors. (laughs) Yeah. So, right. That's the thing. It like cascaded in that it it just started going downhill. Like,
1: my dad's got a drive, or I have a drive in the disc station that lives at my dad's house. um, And he backs up to it and, you know, uses it for light duty stuff. And, It has had 134 bad sectors on it for a very Mm. long time. But the number's not changing. And, you know, I saw it when it first happened. It went from, like, zero to 134. I was like, okay. Because I get the monthly disk report from my disk stations, wherever they happen to be. And I saw that, I was like, okay, maybe I need to replace it. I didn't get around to it, and I got the next monthly report, and it was like 134. This has been going on for two years now. So, uh, you know, keeping an eye on... Interesting. On, yeah. On the progression of that really, it's, you know, I mean, I think about it like, you know, drive cancer, it will not get better. It will probably get worse. The only question is, you know, how quickly and there, and there is no, you know, there is no way to treat that particular cancer that we're better at it in humans than we are in drives, um, in many cases, but sadly not all. Right. So, um, right.
0: so, okay. Yeah, yeah. Like in my case, it was like, okay, this is going downhill
1: fast. If it stayed yeah.
0: at one, then I'd be like, yeah, okay. You're, you're yeah. probably good.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. If it just hung at one, that's fine. In fact, your drive is, like I said, your drive is built with, with spare sectors. So it like a, 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 an amount of these is okay. It's just, you know, when it starts growing and you can see the rate of growth, either, you know, not stop or, or increase. That's when it's like, yeah, maybe it's, you, you know, it's not a question of, if might the drive in any of my <laughs> devices will die, it's right. when, right? So, yep. And I will say this, I, I have experienced this from time to time where I'll buy, you know, three or four drives all at once. They're all built as part of the same batch. They all tend to fail around the same time often. Um, unless, you know, something odd happens. But when, if you've got many drives that you purchased at the same time and you start seeing one fail, start swapping them out because the last thing you want is multiple drives to go offline because then you will lose data so just bear that in mind
0: right because that's where even raid will not save you no no if they all roll over at once
1: if they all roll over so that's why backup is important and scott actually takes us to the uh to the next phase of this the next question our Synology thing he says uh I'm considering getting the model you have, John, the DS918+. Plus. One reason I'm hesitating is cloud backup. Uh, I see Synology offers something to backup to a cloud service. However, I don't see a way to use what I already have, Backblaze. Is there an easy way to keep the data on the DS918+, Plus synced to a drive on my Mac? I pay for Backblaze on my Mac, so this would allow my Backblaze backup to keep a copy of items in the cloud as my off-site backup. I asked Synology this question, but they didn't really have a. Straight answer says specifically I'm concerned with photos because I need to move some online version of photo storage. So my wife can see all our photos. Currently I'm using aperture, which I know I need to stop using. I have not found the (laughs) perfect solution, but I need to move to something. And I'm thinking that photo station may be good. Uh, I think it'll allow me to automatically upload images from both my and my wife's phones so I can manually add photos from our real cameras. The concern of course is backups. Uh, We'll talk about photo station versus moments in a minute here, but um, yes. So to answer your question, yes, you can sync the data on your, the files on your disk station with your Mac. Uh, The, the software that's, that's, that does that is Synology drive. Now Synology drive is sort of a big umbrella term now that has lots of things underneath it. But one of the main ones is Drive sync where essentially it runs just like Dropbox. If you're familiar with that, where you have a folder or a series of folders on your Mac and you can tell drive to sync those folders with their, you know, their mates that sit over on your disk station and it works great. I've been using, it was called cloud station for a while and then they changed the name to drive a few years ago and I've been using it for, probably almost 10 years now, maybe, I mean, certainly more than five as as my main storage for my files. So yes, you could do that sync and then have that backed up with Backblaze. Also though, you can use what Synology calls cloud sync, which is the same kind of thing, except instead of syncing to your Mac, it syncs to a cloud service and Backblaze is an acceptable destination uh, for a Synology cloud sync backup. And so that might also be your uh, be the answer for you here. So we'll put a link to, to both of those in the show notes here. And um, yeah, Synology, there, there's a lot of different ways to back things up. And then, like you said, you could use hyper-backup to back up to many different clouds, but but Backblaze isn't currently one of them. Uh, I back up to Synology C2 Cloud, which is their oh, data store. Okay. Yeah, I thought it
0: was. Okay, so hyper-backup, which is their yeah. deprecated, I guess you could say. Say that again? Like, Well, you shouldn't be using hyper-backup if you can use Drive, right?
1: Oh, no, they 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 both serve different purposes, I think. Drive is for syncing amongst your, like from your disk station as the server, if you will, to all your okay. computers. And then hyper-backup is for the, the disk station to actually back itself up. and And that hyper-backup has specific destinations that are options. Um, cloud sync uses th- so hyper backup will sync will backup your data as a blob, if you will. Cloud mm-hmm. sync will actually sync your files to a cloud and you can point it at Dropbox or Backblaze or you know lots of others. So there's just a lot of different options. And and that's both the benefit and the frustrating part. Or confuse, I don't want to say frustrating. Confusing part of, of having a disk station is there's a lot of different ways to do similar things, but they all kind of serve mm-hmm. their own purposes. So, yeah.
0: Okay. No, you're right. I, I, I'm looking at the list here, and it says cloud services, and uh, yeah, Backblaze is
1: not there. Right. So Yeah, it's not there. Yeah, I think you're right, though. I think it used to be there. I think there used to be a way to back up mm. with hyper-backup to Backblaze, but but not anymore, so... All right, Jeff has kind of a he has a big question, but we'll we'll see if we can go through it. He um he wants he's curious about setting up a new Synology disk station and he has a lot of uh individual questions about it. So we'll see how quickly we can go through these and maybe we'll revisit uh, the end of his list in a future episode or maybe we'll get through it. He says number 1, I want to replace Dropbox with my own cloud file storage for both my wife and i and we just talked about that synology drive is exactly that and it's private it's only stored on you know on your synology or in, and the other devices that you choose to sync it to but it's never stored on synology servers unless you back it up and you can encrypt it or you know or dropbox's servers or anything like that so that's that to me that's the sort of the killer app of the synology because it's so easy to use and it's something that we all Many of us, not all of us, but many of us uh, have been doing with other cloud services like iCloud or Dropbox or Box.net or any of those over the years. So that's that. He um, says, number two, I want to move my Plex server from an old Mac mini uh, that's not running great to my NAS. And uh, and that's pretty straightforward. Migrating your Plex data is very doable if you follow very specific steps. And I went through this recently because I migrated from one disk station to another. And uh, one of the I asked in the Plex forums and and one of the Plex employees actually w- answered with a perfect, path to do this and it was not at all what I expected and it was very easy and thankfully I followed that path because otherwise it would have been in fact I didn't follow that path initially and I just had to wipe my data and st- not wipe my original data but wipe my you know the, the the migrated data and start and do the migration again it's been just like way better it's like oh this this is going to take me an extra 30 minutes I wonder if I can fix it it's like no no just do the 30 minutes. it's totally fine things are much better now so I will put um uh, I will put this link in there. It's about migrating, you know, the the um, the answer was about migrating from one disk station to another, but it it's the same. Plex data is Plex data. It doesn't matter, you know, where it's living, so. Okay, as far as
0: the implementation though, if I'm not mistaken, so if you're going to be doing Plex and especially if you're going to be transcoding video, right, you want, you do want to get a Synology like that, so the 918 Plus has enough uh oomph yes. to well, be able to do video transcoding. Properly. Let's be
1: more specific about oomph because it, you, you okay, you well, it's not just CPU speed, it's that the processor mm-hmm. in your 918 Plus has the has a hardware transcoding engine in it. And and that's where the oomph actually matters, right? It like you can do it with in so in what they call software transcoding, which is just using the main CPU, but it's way better. Like i I move to the same I have exactly the same CPU that you do, John. I have the five bay version, which is the ten nineteen plus. But um that it that CPU with that that hardware transcoding engine makes ple- like the my disk station doesn't like Heat up or, or you know get bogged down anymore when I'm watching a video that needs to be transcoded, it just plays it because it's, it's because it's got it okay. built in there. Yeah,
0: I guess the warning is don't
1: there buy are the
0: Synology units that may not be up to the task of doing video it. At- peak efficiency. It, right? Totally. Yeah. To, to be polite.
1: No, you're totally right. It, in fact, they, they do a good job. If you go online to Synology's um, NAS selector, you can see which ones, you know, like, like what kind of video it can do in, in real time transcoding and all of that stuff. But yeah, it, you know, a lot of the sort of smaller, uh, lower price two bay units do not have to use your term enough oomph to really, get the job done. It It's a combination of CPU and of course, Ram. Um, but yeah, no, it's a, that's a really good point, John. Yep. I, I agree. I agree. All right. What else do we have here? Let's see. Um, I think his next thing was about time machine. He wants to use mm. time machine for his wife, uh, wife's computer and his computer. Yeah, uh, absolutely. In fact, we were talking about this in, I think the, uh, two episodes ago where you, Um, you were saying that you back up your time machine destination on your Synology so that you can restore if it gets corrupted. And then um, I suggested using um, uh, the, the snapshots for that. And then like days after I did the snapshots, John, my, Mm -hmm. my laptop's backup corrupted. And it was like, Oh, sweet. And I just like with one flick of the mouse that my, my data was restored. It took no time at all. It was brilliant. So, wow. Yeah, it's awesome, man. The one thing I will say is put all of your put your time machine data on a separate shared volume for each computer if you're going to use the snapshot thing because you the easiest way to restore a snapshot is to do the whole thing, the whole shared volume. And if you if if you have all of your time machine backups in one shared volume well then you have to roll them all back as opposed to just being able to roll one back easily you can roll one back but it requires like mounting the huh. snapshot and copying it which takes forever so if you want to do it fast have everything in its own little 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 oh side okay off.
0: yeah yeah my only observation is that setting the whole thing up is still kind of weird i agree And that you got to, or at least the way that I set it up and the way that I think most, uh, they instruct you to is that you set up a separate user or a separate user account. And then you allocate a certain amount of space on the drive to represent the time machine volume. And
1: you use quotas, which is, which is non-intuitive, but it makes, it makes sense once you do it. Um, And I've I found an article at nine to five Mac where they, they walk through this in a very, very clear way. So I'll put a link to that in the um, in our show notes here. Cause yeah, that's yeah, yeah good and, call. I mean, I'm still
0: yeah, one of my machines here, I'm actually almost at my quota. And the thing is time machine is doing what it should in that it expires the oldest stuff. Right. Um now I could expand the quota, but it's like do I want to do that or do I want to start from... So, think about your... Yeah. So, number one, think about your quota. I think most people would agree that you probably want your time machine volume to be double the space that you're using on your hard drive. I don't know <sighs> if you're with me on that. That's that's my that been my guideline for yeah. both of my machines here is that I typically allocate about twice the space of the hard drive to the time machine partition.
1: That's a, it it is a good rule of thumb to start with. If I have a drive and I, like, let's say I have a one terabyte drive and I know that I'm only using, you know, 300 gigs on it. I don't necessarily allocate two terabytes. I might allocate, you know, one and a quarter terabytes or something to time machine, just because I don't need to, you know, I don't need my 300 gig backup to be there four times. You know what I'm saying? Like I think more about the, amount of data that I'm backing up, not the size of the drive that it's on. I mean, you got to think about both because you might wind up filling that drive at some point down the road, right? But if, if you know your usage double, you know, in that case, to put two terabytes out there for 300 gigs of data, that's, you know, it's kind of a lot. But, but yeah, yeah.
0: Yep. And of course, the other thing is, please, please use Time Machine Editor so your machine is not continually packing up especially if you're on a network connection because yeah. I, I i just found that infuriating
1: i'll put a link to that in the show notes uh you know i'm going to save i know we said we'd talk more about um, photo station and moments I, well I, i'll do a, a, a quick little bit on it and then maybe there'll be some more questions and we'll talk about it more photo station is the old uh Engine That will allow you to manage photos on your disk station moments is relatively new. It's, it's only a couple of years old. I would use moments. Uh, it's way more automated than photo photo station was kind of dumb in that it doesn't do any auto like parsing of your photos or anything like that. I mean, it'll do some rudimentary stuff, but moments will look at your photos. It'll identify faces. It will identify, you know, you could say, find me all my photos that I, that I've taken of cars, or I can say, find me all the photos of John F. Braun and it'll find Mr. John F. Braun and, you know, and it'll auto categorize them and, and create, you know, albums by month and year and, and location and all of that stuff. So moment, and it all happens on, on device, on the disc station. So it's not, you know, sending your data to the cloud or anything. So I, I highly recommend using moments instead of photo station for your photos, which was Jeff's final question here. So I think though, that's got to, uh, that's got to bring us to the, uh, the outro here, my friend, it's time. It's time and i think really? the band is around yeah yeah in fact it's it's this show has gone on longer than than most have recently so but that's okay yeah, it's fun we're having no, fun it was
0: jam packed with all sorts of Wonderful ingredients for your soup. You, you, you were going on soup.
1: I, yes, are, that's right. right. Yeah, it, we talked and we did. We talked about like the, the, the my prediction of acronym soup turned out to be right. We talked for about stew. A, How about stew? I, I I think I'll have stew tonight. Are you, are you having stew? All right, well, that's a little heartier. <laughs> sure, that's right. I think that's the, what's the, is that the difference between soup and stew? It's one's heartier than the uh, other. I think uh, stew wow. has more meat to it. Or I, think I don't know. I've cook had, it longer. Yeah, now. maybe. Yeah, it's a slow cook thing. There's a fast. I don't know. I don't know. I, we should find that out. I you know what I bet I bet you could search Google for that. Um <laughs> You could also, uh, we mentioned it many times, so I'll mention it again. You could also just, instead of searching Google, you just go to MacGeekHub.com slash forums and talk about really whatever you want. That's, that's your home. I mean, it's our home, right, for all of us. But it really, it is for all of us. It is not just for me and John. It is for all of you to interact, not just with us, but with each other and, and help each other. And that is exactly what happens there. It's freaking awesome. So you got to check it out. MacGeekHub.com slash forums and uh yeah thanks to uh to all of you for listening thanks to you mr john f braun for uh for you know for uh, it's like you know everything you contributed to i like, think this is good it's like you know i mean i know we do this together it's weird to thank you but it's like i'm also very thankful that we get to do this oh, together yeah. no thank you see you're welcome yeah it's it's like we get to do this together it's pretty good pretty lucky I want to thank our sponsors. As I mentioned, of course, Lino.com slash MGG. MacSales.com. Ifixit.com slash MGG. Eero.com slash MGG. Barebones.com. Yes, Mr. Braun. Hmm? you going to say something? Oh, I thought you were saying something. Oh. No, no. Okay. SmileSoftware.com slash podcast. But I may be saying something, Dave. Would you like to say something? Do you have something to say? I would like to
0: say something. And I don't know if you could guess what I'm going to say, Dave, but
1: I could I think I can, but I'm not going to share my guess. I'm going to
0: let well, you. If your guess was that I was going to say, "Don't get caught, you'd be correct. I got it right. made. <laughs>